Hello and welcome to the It's Not Personal podcast, a podcast about making work more engaging, more fulfilling, and ultimately more human by taking the ego out of leadership. I am here with Ken Grady, a Fortune 500 CIO and business leader, as well as gentleman farmer and snappy dresser. And I'm here with Seth Rigoletti, my always friend and often collaborator and co-conspirator. Seth is an executive and communications coach who's worked with a number of different organizations and whose superpower is helping people understand the difference between what's being said and what's being heard. I just want to kick off because I walked in today. We were getting ready, as we do. (laughs) As we do. You know, we always get our tea, we sit down, and I walked in and you were on the phone with an airline. Mm. And I know today we were going to talk about, you know, tools can make fools. We said that at the end of our last podcast. And and we were talking about software and the human experience. And of course, this is a subject near and dear to my heart as a CIO and technology leader. But I just, I walked in and listened to you talk to this airline about... Did I not sound frustrated? You you sounded a little frustrated, like they they weren't putting the human at the, the heart of the experience. So I want you to just share what you were doing, what you were trying to do, and, and the the obstacles that you were encountering, because yeah. I think it's very relevant. Yeah. So this is this is probably something that uh, many of our audience members have probably experienced in the last year or so, where I had a credit, a ticket credit, on an airline, and I was trying to use that credit so that before it it, it went away, and. <clears throat> You know the way that system is set up, you can't you can't use you can't just go on the online like they want you to go online, right? Mm. But you can't go online to use a ticket credit. You have to call, and so you had to call. You had to schedule a call. So I had to schedule the call, like to call be back, and I was on the phone. And then because of the way the dates lined up, when I wanted to use the credit, I couldn't use it for the date I wanted. So then I had to buy another ticket <laughs> so that my credit extended. So I could get the other ticket, then the credit extended. And by the time you walked in, what 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 I was waiting to hear from is like everything was okay, but it turned out no, everything wasn't okay because they also wanted to charge me a fee to be able to do this because this all happened like just at just at the same time as COVID. Like this all happened. Like I let my canceled my ticket for March, which was right around the time that COVID. Anyways, so the. The the response was that I, I had to pay this fee. Basically, it was like all these things I had to do. Or I could go outside the system, reapply through a customer service link, and then do this whole thing all over again, requesting a thing. I was like, oh. <laughs> I was, why can't you just help me? <laughs> why can't you just help me? Like, I, think was, I, I think I offered to like pay like a thousand dollars. Yeah, you were like, I will me. give you a thousand dollars if you'll let me use my credit. It was just a, it was a why can't you just help me moment that I thought just underlined. I mean, I, don't, I know you didn't set it up for our conversation today, but I walked in and I thought about you know how we were going to talk about software and tools and 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 how they can actually be restrictive if we let them in enabling the human interaction that we want to have. Uh, and and I, I share with you as well, like, you know, I, so I have a cable company. They, they don't need to be named. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that anybody ever is like, oh, I love my cable company. <laughs> but I have a cable company and, and cable and internet and phone, and we haven't had a landline in years. But, you know, we purchased a, a house when we moved to Maine. 
It was an old boarding house. It sort of doesn't matter, but it used to have multiple addresses, and now it's a single-family home. And every, every other month, I get 10 envelopes from them with offers, yeah. you know, new offers. And I have, for, for years, I have called them. I have gone into their offices. I have emailed. I have done everything I can to say, could you please stop killing this many trees because it's now a single-family address, these, these other you know, rentals don't exist anymore. And, they, and the answer I consistently get back is, I'm sorry, we can't do that. Right, we can't do that. We can't. Our, our system doesn't allow us to do that. And so, and I still try every other, I, I tweet at them every once in a while. I was like, this is not a great experience. But it just, these are examples that I thought, you know, this is, this is a great opportunity to talk about. How these examples, how our systems, our our software, our tools, our Things that we think are going to create efficiencies actually create rigidity. That's that's a great way to say it. That's a great way to say it because it's in order to create efficiency, they have to create rigidity. Yeah, I mean that's sort of the thing, right? Yeah, like you know, you 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 um, in IT, you create a system that makes something really easy, but it makes it really hard to be flexible within it, and it's hard to explain that, right? Mm. And you know, I imagine that as at your level, if someone were having an issue in IT, you could probably talk to someone and get it fixed. But certainly the help desk isn't going to know how to do that. Right. Who right. do I talk to? What do I actually do? I bet somebody at that cable company high up could get that fixed. Some, somebody probably, after many years, I'm not 100% sure of that, but I, I bet you're right. I, you know, in general, I think that this is, you know, one of the constant challenges we face as we grow and as we rely more on software and as we think about technology as an enabler. To your point, to create efficiency, what you're trying to, one of the things you're trying to do is, is eliminate all the edge cases. You're trying to anticipate. What is that? What is an edge case? Edge cases are things that happen every once in a while. You know, generally you're solving for 90% of the problems. But there's these onesie twosies that come up that, you know, 90%, 99% of the time, mm. you have defined the happy path. We mm. call we talk about the happy path. Like, you know, I'm going to ask this. They're going to say that. You know, we're going to push that button. And boom, we're off and running. Right. But there's these edge cases that happen because of people, right? Mm -hmm. Because your circumstance is different than my circumstance. And we, you know, me eliminating rental addresses is not something that happens a lot probably for the cable company, right. but it did in this case. And because they didn't anticipate that, it creates an unhappy outcome. It, and, it, and it does a weird thing, right? Like it definitely affects the way we perceive the organization. Mm. You know, I was, th I was thinking about this as we were talking. I was thinking about, I remember a friend of mine ordered a, uh, a couch and the leg was broken on the couch. This happened to me too, actually, now that I think about it. And I, I like, I'll, so I'll use myself. I called up the company and mm -hmm. said, the leg is broken on the couch. They said, we'll send you a new couch. I don't need a new couch. I said, I don't, I don't have the couches right here. I don't need a new couch. I just need the leg, right? Yeah. But, but what was clear was that they had no system to do that. They could. I was like, you are in the warehouse. Walk down to the couch you're going to send me. <laughs> grab the leg and send it to me. It's a lot cheaper for both of us. Right? And he's like, we can't actually do that. Like, I can't. I don't have a way. I don't have a way to do that. And that, and, and, and it just... And I'm sure that there's a very sophisticated system in place 
that's set up that is the reason why they can't do that. Mm. But the impact is it seems ridiculous, right? It seems so silly. Do you have a cinder block under your couch to this day? It's like <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I ended up getting a whole new couch. I did the whole, you know, it was like, it was just bizarre. And, and okay, so let's talk about how we get there. Let's talk about how we get there first. Because yeah. the, the whole idea about tools make fools is, is not that we're fools. <laughs> this idea was not that we're fools to use tools. Right. 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 It's, That's it's, really important to it's, say. It's not. It's, tools are really helpful. It's just that what happens is, is that we get something that solves a problem. And then we create a problem, unintended consequences. And Yes, it might, you know, not be a problem like the 90% versus the 10%. Like, you know, you're not really the 90% is what matters maybe, but the 10% has these unintended consequences, these, these small edge cases you were talking about. And what are those consequences? And the consequences, I think, is that it makes people feel stupid. It makes people the, on, the, on the receiving end feel stupid. Like, why can't I do this? I don't understand. And it makes people trying to help them feel stupid. Yeah. By the way, I also want to just, before we go further, I want to, I want to just say, you know, we've used examples which are systems and software and technology oriented, but tools can be processes. Yes. Yeah. Because how many organizations have I been a part of, you've been a part of or worked with that where you end up being in service to the process? or in service to the template. Yes. We need to create a template to assess any new project. And then if you can't fill out that template, you can't move any further. And the template is a, is a tool to help advance the process, not the other way around. The process isn't there to serve the tool. Right. And I've had like legit polite arguments with colleagues saying, it doesn't. it's not a one size fits all. And I am, by the way, I am also, no, I am absolutely not advocating the wild, wild west. I'm not advocating that we shouldn't seek efficiencies. I'm not advocating that we shouldn't create tools that help us accelerate the experience, the process, et cetera. Right. It's that we can't let those things become the objective in themselves. Right, right, right. So I have a great example of this mm. that's a process-oriented piece that I use, I use a lot of times when I'm talking in about procurement. So there was a company that I won't name, but there was a company I was doing a lot of work with. And every room that I did, a, did coaching with, every room I walked into, there was a beautiful big whiteboard. Never had any markers. <laughs> I was like, what is with this place? Experienced that. Yeah, what is with this place? Why are there no markers? Yeah. And I, I, I talked to a few people and then I finally like, worked with procurement and I got to work with procurement and I talked to them about it. And what I learned more or less was that there was like a, a process, like you, to get the markers, you had to like fill out this form to sign in. Well, how it was so onerous, right? For a $2 because marker. For a $2 marker. It was so onerous. This is, this is a, you know, big, big company. Right. right. So, so why would they do that? Why would they make it so hard? Why wouldn't people not want to sign out the marker? Well, because if you sign out too many markers, you get dinged, right? Because you're wasting money signing out all these markers. Why did that happen? Well, it was because they probably used to give away the markers for free. Mm. It used to be like a big box and everybody would go in and take the markers. Well, then somebody was like, hey, we're spending too much money on markers, right? Well, let's lock the door to the closet. 
right? Yeah. And then it was like, you could give as many markers as you want as long as you asked for them, right? <laughs> but then everybody just asked for them and just carried them around in their pockets and just like, and then it was like, no, 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 we have to make people actually be accountable because we're still wasting a lot of money on markers. And somebody in finance and procurement got some sort of like bonus because what they did is they cut down the number of the waste, the quote unquote waste of markers to like zero because nobody has any <laughs> if markers. You, if you don't have any markers, you can't be wasting you them. You can't be wasting them. So like, like, oh, what a good job you did yeah. saving all this money from markers. Now, what I kept saying was, isn't that interesting? You have all these whiteboards, you have all these meeting rooms. If, if I want to write something on the board, I have to go out and buy a set of markers, which is another barrier to me actually using the whiteboard. So what does that do? Yeah. Right? Are, have you really kept, in that case, the purpose in mind, which is I need to help people collaborate, right? The people are at the heart of this. Right. And they need the tools with which to collaborate. That doesn't mean that you don't set realistic expectations. But sometimes I say, and what you just described is the perfect example of this. I describe policy as organizational scar tissue because generally we create policies as a result of somebody making a bad choice. That's right. You know, and so we say, okay, we're going to, we're going to create a new policy. You know, we have a policy around markers. We have a policy around company lunches. We have a policy around home internet provision, whatever it is. And it's because somebody's made a bad choice or somebody's, you know, ask the question so many times is to create a policy and it creates like scar tissue. It creates organizational rigidity. Again, it's not necessarily bad. I'm, and again, I'm not advocating for, I, I write policies for my company, right. but I do it with an eye towards the outcome and to create space to allow for those back to those edge cases. You cannot anticipate a one size fits all for so many things and I think just we forget it. We forget that so often. Yeah, it becomes really difficult to um, to be flexible and to remember the bigger picture of what we're trying to do. Yeah. So let's let's go back to just like you know uh, whether it's a, a process um, in terms of like like think of PMOs, right? Like here's a here's a form you need to fill out before you do your project, or like here's yeah. We should define that. That's a, a we. I mean, I think a lot of us you know are familiar with project management organizations, but when we talk about a PMO, it's a portfolio and a project. Right. And often we use those to help manage the intake and the oversight and you know transparency and deliverable. But yeah, so and, we why, and why are we doing that? Yeah, we, we do that because. For a couple of reasons. One, you know, I think it's responsible, right, as for leadership to have visibility to how we're spending our energy, energy in the form of capital, dollars, people, time, time, you know, skill sets. Um, how are we doing that? So we have a structure that we create around that to give us uh, consistent visibility over time. Absolutely. And 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 what we say visibility, the way I always read it in that is is if I'm the leader, I want to ask, where are we with this? Mm. Why did we spend this much money on this? Why is this not done yet? Whatever. I want to ask those questions and I want you to be able to look at it and tell me based upon what we said we were going to do and where we are now, what happened? Yeah. And this is an interesting area too for those of us in software and technology who have committed to kind of a move towards what we, we talk about the agile framework. Mm -hmm where we're delivering shorter, iterative uh, deliverables of value. 
and there's this tension. It's a weird, to me, it's a weird tension, but I, I see this in lots of organizations. There's a tension between having a PMO or a portfolio view, creating an annual operating plan, as companies like to do. We like to know where we're going to spend our money. Right. You know, how we're going to meet our deliverables and this agile approach where, but wait a minute, we're defining this as we go and we're going to, we're going to do sprints and we're going to do epics and we're going to do, I said, yeah, but you have a reasonable hypothesis as to where you want to end up. Mm-hmm. There are steps along the way that we can create visibility to. So there is a, and again, this is where I get into like, this is not a religious discussion about, you know, orthodoxy for agile versus, you know, traditional waterfall. No, but that's just it. Portfolio that's processes. Just it, right? You're just you're describing when you said uh philosophy or religious, like it's almost like it's almost like they're competing um ideologies. Yeah. That can only they're all or nothing, right? Like it's one to- or the other. You can't have both. And I absolutely believe you could have both. You know, this is, you want to have a, a long-term goal. You want to know how you're, you know, where you're going. I'm going to set off on a road trip. I want to know where my destination is generally. Right. Um, but if I meet traffic, I might deviate. Right. Maybe it'll take me longer. Maybe Waze is going to tell me to like avoid toll roads, go with toll roads. Right. So, right. so that's a great example, like using Waze or using Google Maps it's not, it's, it's a very, it's such a smart um, application. It's such a, it's such a wonderful tool, right? Mm. But I noticed to, to, to get back to like this idea of like it making me foolish, right? <laughs> I notice that I will go where it tells me yes. without really thinking about it. It's so true. My wife and I get in this argument when we get in the car and because I just turn on ways and apparently I have forgotten how to get anywhere. Right. Because, right. like, I just let the thing tell me where to go. And she's always like, do you, you know, well, is it going to take you on the freeway or is it going to take you the back roads? I'm like, I don't know. I just, like, she tells me and I go. Right. <laughs> she's like, right. you've never listened to instructions that well. Right. I'm like, yeah, what, well, you know, Waze just tells me how to get there. Yeah. Uh, which has changed the way that I drive, by the way. But it's, it's and it's it's one of those that I'm okay with that change, I guess. It's a, it's a trade-off, but the part, and, I'm, and we're being a little harsh with the fools, but the idea being that, um, we can give over the, so let me say it this way. Our brain, we're such lazy creatures. Our mm. brains are so like designed to be lazy. So like, we want to take the easiest route. That's why, you know, we'll all get in and we'll do the ways without even thinking about it because we don't really want to think about it. We don't want the, the, that all those choices, you know, do I take the freeway or do, do I go the back roads? Just do what it tells me and I'll, I won't have to think. Yeah, well, right. let me let me pull on that thread to kind of talk about one of the other consequences we haven't touched on yet, which is when we go to introduce change, and I'm asking somebody to, hey, I've got a new app, I've got I've got Ways 2.0, I want you to use that. And you said, well, but I know how to use the one I have, right? And I'm asking you, but I'm, yeah, but this is gonna be like quantifiably better. Right. You know, I'm gonna introduce a new process, I'm going to introduce software, I'm going to introduce whatever. It's going to be quant- like, look, I've got all the data. It shows it's going to be better. <sighs> but I really know how to use this thing. And that you're you're asking me to expend effort to change. Oh, we, we just experienced this with this podcast. We upgraded to a new operating system. Yeah. And all of a sudden, all the... <laughs> All the different programs. All the tools were different. Were different. And <laughs> and and how do we, you know, how do we manage that? Like it's expensive uh emotionally, psychically, 
um, other ways to like have to manage that. And it's, it's hard, right? To, to, it, it, and so what do we do, right? What do we do with that? We become, in a sense, we become, um, foolish is, is the wrong term. We become sort of passive, yeah. right? And then we become resistant, we we become we we give up a level of autonomy. Autonomy, I was gonna yeah. say, or control, yeah. or, or yeah. active, you know, kind of ownership, because we're used to a certain experience or things. Anyway, you create that emotional or psychological resistance to change, and so in that way, that's a way that the tools make fools. And again, that's a you know harsh way to say it, but it's actually we we're we're teaching ourselves not to take active control because you know i've only got so much energy i can expend and you're asking me to change how i'm doing it so then bringing this back to leadership and culture so many leaders that i talk to so many managers so many people running um, organizations they want to figure out how they can set up a system to make it foolproof, mm. right? To so that their people just have to push a button and everything happens. And there's and of course there are vendors out there who will tell you, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah, I can do that. We can do that. We'll bring absolutely. AI. That's my favorite yeah. one these days. <laughs> and so like the idea being that like somehow this is just gonna this is gonna be foolproof. And yet what happens is you end up creating, and I'm, this is again strong language. You end up creating a whole bunch of fools in your organization because they they know how to push the button, but that's not they don't know how to do anything. Yeah, and, and I, well, let me just personalize this. So at the beginning of COVID, when we went into distributed work, and suddenly the whole organization I work with figured out how to use WebEx and Teams. Those are our right. two choices. And um, we had Zoom, but yeah, how many do you need? The, you know, a few months in, like, so, I mean, obviously the utilization of these, the software was through the roof, right? And everybody was happy. And I, actually my CEO called me and was like, oh my God, I love Microsoft Teams. We're not endorsing anything here, by the way, but it's a good experience. Anyway, but he's like, how, he's, he said to me, and I quote, why did you not tell me about this before? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, <laughs> a secret. Uh, well, well, it did. <laughs> But and then and then another colleague in the C-suite said, "Wouldn't it be great if it didn't take a global pandemic to accelerate change management?" Right. <laughs> I said, "Yes, that would be great." And so we actually made some deliberate choices around investing in change and thinking about the levers of change. What are the barriers to change? What are, to your point. What do people, what do we need to help people understand fundamentally to improve their own or others' outcome, like to improve the organizational outcome, to improve our customer outcomes, to improve their own personal productivity? Right. How do we think about this in not technology terms, not process terms, but in like personal outcome terms? Yes. So let's go, let's, let's tie this together a little bit. So they, there's, there's two things. Right. One is that managers, leaders will turn to technology, turn to system thinking as a way to sort of foolproof uh, a process. They want to like take any thinking out of it. Think of it like a McDonald's, mm. right? Like they don't want 
the the kids working back there to be creative. They want them just to do right. the thing that like they're asking them to do. And the the simpler they make it, the easier it is to like make sure that hamburger comes out exactly the same more or less every time. Mm-hmm. Right? There's that thinking. And then the other thing is this piece about like change management, right? Mm-hmm. Like what is the tool actually for and how do we get people to adopt this tool in order to see the bigger picture of how it connects? And these things are actually connected. Because one is I'm trying to eliminate this like – so in the terms of the McDonald's example, I'm trying to eliminate personality. I'm trying to eliminate uh, thinking. I want to just make this as easy as possible so it always goes the same way. And the other one is I want engagement. Mm-hmm. I want people to be invested. I want people to adopt this and be accountable for this. Mm-hmm. They are Really, honestly, folks, they are working against each other. There, it is a natural tension, and every organization has both, I think. Yeah. Even the most creative you know, ad agency has got, which is known for creative out-of-the-box thinking, innovation, et cetera, but they still have standards around which they operate. Every, every ad agency that I've talked to, they're trying to figure out how, how do we systemize? Yeah. <laughs> In this process, which is really kind of mysterious. How do we systemize creativity? And actually, I would say that, like, you know, and I love the ad agency example, but I work in life sciences. You know, you could pick McDonald's. How do we, where do we systemize engagement, creativity? Because they are still trying to optimize for the customer interaction. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and you want people to be repeat customers, which means you got to have, you know, happy employees or whatever. I don't know. I don't know if I can extend the McDonald's example so far, but the, but most organizations at least have this tension, this healthy tension between, in my own as well, personalizing it, you know, I absolutely quality standards, defect controls, you know, other things that we're doing to systematize and scale, but I want creative problem solvers and engaged. Right. So this, so this gets back to the, the, the what's the culture, right? Mm. What's the workforce we're creating? Now, I, I don't think anybody has ever described working at McDonald's as being engaging and enlivening. Now, that's nothing, no offense to McDonald's, but like, I think that the whole point is trying to get labor to operate in a very controlled way that from way on high, yeah. you can point to it and say, yes, these hamburgers will be the same every time. Every place. And I, I appreciate that. Except I wouldn't want to work there, right? Like that is a tough job to have because you lose yourself in mm. that. How do we create the workplace more human and how do tools help you do that? Yeah, it's and it gets back to our kind of central arc about, you know, it's not personal, right? We are, we are systematizing this, this culture, right? but it's more human. Which is we are trying to create a space where people thrive, bring their whole selves, keep the purpose in mind as they design solutions and interact with one another so that we're not putting ourselves in the solution. And and, and this brings to mind a, another really important concept here. I'll, I'll come back to it in a moment. But we're really keeping in mind the outcome. You know, which is, again, increased productivity, you know, a new innovative, you know, uh, product, uh, reduced friction in the, the customer, the employee experience. And the thing I wanted to come back to that actually is really interesting when you take it up a level is there's a concept called Conway's Law. Mm. 
which is Conway's Law, and I'm going to paraphrase it, uh, Google it for the audience, but it's when your organizational hierarchy or organizational design shows up in your product. I'll give you the example. I'll take it back to the, the cable company. So cable, my cable company provides cable, they provide internet, they provide phone. And if I call with a problem with cable, and I also want to talk about the internet, I get transferred to somebody else. Yes. And it's like, and they don't know who I am. Right. Like, they're like, could you give me your name again? I was like, I just gave your colleague my name and my account number and right. all this stuff. And so their organizational design shows up in my experience. Like healthcare. Like healthcare. Right. Yeah. When you're like your GP and then you go to the pharmacy or you go to a specialist and you have to fill out the paperwork all over again. Right. And suddenly you've you've dehumanized the experience for mm -hmm. the patient, you know, where, okay, I'm just a number, I guess, and a piece of paper and, and such. And, and this is where, again, the tools are the barrier to actually creating a more cohesive experience. Right. So this is really, this is interesting. So just to kind of recap, we're talking about um, tools, systems, processes, these, these ideas of how to make things more efficient, more productive. They're all good, right? They're all like, in, in essence, nobody created them to be evil, right? I mean, well, maybe you know, Hitler did, but like we, we, most of us are like trying to figure out like, how can we uh, extract more value from their, our time and money and, and all this stuff? How can we get more value from it? The problem is, is that on the other receiving end is that whether you're an employee or you're a customer, that's the, the rigidity of those tools and those systems and those processes can feel sometimes dehumanizing. Yeah. Right. Can be can create a kind of rigidity in us or a like in the case of Waze or Google Maps, like it can create a, like a, a laziness, a laziness or an unconsciousness. Like we don't really we're not really making choices in this moment. And what what I find interesting is what would it take to design tools that also empower you know, what, what would it take? Now, in some cases that might not be possible, right? Like it's, it's, you don't, maybe, maybe it is impossible for that company to send me the leg of the, <laughs> the couch. Right. Um, but in some cases, maybe it's like, it's really actually just laziness on the company's part or rigidity on the company's part where they just forgot maybe what the bigger picture was. Like in the case of the whiteboards, like why do we have all these whiteboards if yeah. we don't have markers? Well, I think I know many of us probably know the story of Nordstrom, who, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know, this could be apocryphal, but I always heard that they empowered any associate to basically do whatever it takes to solve a customer problem. Well, no, customer service. Yeah, no, Nordstrom and uh, Ritz-Carlton, these are organizations that uh, define themselves by their customer service experience. And Nordstrom's has stories that they tell they might be apocryphal, right? <laughs> but they have stories that they tell within the organization. But Ritz-Carlton actually is interesting because mm. Ritz-Carlton actually empowers every employee in the, in the hotel to solve any problem a customer has up to $2,000, no questions asked. Mm. You know, and what I always think about when I hear their stories, and, and most of the stories that we've shared you know, whether it's the airline or the cable company or uh, uh, the couch, have been kind of a customer 
relationship, customer company relationship. And I always think about, and this is this is a podcast about culture and organizational, you know, kind right. of employee and, and right. et cetera, and bring the human to work. What if we took the same approach? What would it look like if we took the same approach with solving employee issues? Yeah, what what right. if any manager right. was empowered to felt empowered, no questions asked, up to a limit, there's guardrails, you know, to to engage with the employee the way Ritz Carlson engaged with their customers. Yeah, so 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 let's just let's play that out for a second. Going back through the idea of like a system or tool creates rigidity or even like passive passivity, right? So why would I do the extra work when I can let ways do it or mm. rigidity in the sense of like, why should I solve your ticket problem? Like when this is what just what the problem tells me or my manager tells me I have to follow the system. The the opportunity is to say, what would it cost us if we were to create a bubble of flexibility? And that's the thing with the Ritz Carlton piece is they just like they just financially just made a number yeah. and they said, you have this freedom. Now, in in business, right, with internally, uh, there's like there's all these guardrails. They have to have guardrails. HR, a lot of the HR is about like trying to keep people on the tracks. Yeah. Right. Or yeah. On the road. And importantly. Yeah. And importantly. Absolutely. Right. Because yeah. bad things happen yep. when they get off the roads. But sometimes those those tracks become so rigid or so narrow, right? There becomes this question of like, why can't I just, why do I have to go through this process? Maybe not HR, maybe finance. Why do I have to go through this process to throw a party for yeah. my team? To order lunch, to, to, order get, lunch. Mar to get markers. <laughs> to get markers. Why do I have to Example. go through this process? And, and it's, you know, and again, I want to be very clear. I'm not advocating for the Wild West. Uh, I would absolutely not. And I believe strongly in efficiency. It's one of the things that, that my team delivers is a scalable, efficient process, you know, through technology and through automation and all those kind of things. But back to our, our last episode where we talked about what's a meeting. You know, we've carved out our day into these blocks of time. Mm, right. And right. You know, what if I had we just did it? What if we did? But what if we created a bubble? I like that that frame framework to or we said philosophically, it's important that, you know, we have we create this, the space. If you need extra time for one on ones, if you need extra time for, uh, you know, uh, mentorship, mm. we're going to create that space. And because we believe that investing in. And in, in, in prioritizing the employee experience is, is crucial, even more so than this Excel template. Like, that's just kind of the, the statement that we want to get to. Is that's right. Like, the person is – and actually, back to kind of the, the IT portion of this and the Agile versus Waterfall, like the Agile Manifesto actually states people over process. It actually states – and we forget that so often that people over process is a core component of what we're trying to deliver – when we develop both the teams and the outputs. So, so let me ask you this, Ken. You're, you've been in technology for years. You've been a leader in this. You've been a, a, an advocate advocate for it. You've been someone who talked a lot about culture. You you care very much about the community of of your the people who work under you. What would be like a thing 
that you would, uh, and I'm not going to hold you to this, but what would be a thing <laughs> that you would like want to change, that you would love to see changed, or some bubble or some some like little clearing in the woods that you would like to give people if you could, right? Like, you know, no one's going to, again, we're not going to hold you to it, but if you could, what, what would that be? What would you like to see? Well, I'll give you just, a, it's, maybe it's a silly, it's a, it's a small example, but it was a really important example mm. that we did during uh, the early days of COVID that sends, I think, a signal as to how we wanted to, and again, it ties to maybe some of our other conversation, but what we found was it was even easier than ever when you're doing primarily distributed meetings and video meetings and the Zoom culture and all that kind of thing um, to book back to back to back to back to back. Right. And to the point where I like literally, I had no time to get up and go use, you know, bio break or get more coffee between meetings. I had to dial in on my next one. And we said, what if we used our tools to create space? Yeah. And so, again, small example, but we reached into the depths, the bowels of Microsoft Exchange and said, the default meetings from now on are either 25 minutes or 50 minutes. That is a great example. That is a great example because now you're actually creating rigidity within the system in order to create space. Yeah, we actually used the tools to protect what was important. Oh, God, I love that. Which example. was our people's time that. and their sanity and the chance to go to the bathroom. And, like, we we, we actually – it was funny, too, how we did it. We said, well – because we were all complaining about meetings, as we talked about the last time, and how this had happened to us. And suddenly we were slaves to the screen. Yeah, right. All right up to the executive suite. Right. And I said, you know, we could reach into the controls and just change that if we feel that's important. And it was, oh, my God, thank you. Yeah. And it made it. But it, what was really important was we were sending a signal to the organization, to the culture, hey, <laughs> you need a minute and we're going to help make sure that the tools don't control you, but you control how you spend that. And what's great about that is that you, and this is what's, this is what the power of a tool like that when you win the right hands is that you took it out of the relationship between <clears throat> the worker and the manager. Yeah. Right. Like it wasn't a negotiation between the manager and and his direct or her direct reports. It was really just like, this is what we're doing. Right. In order to change this, you have to actually go in and change. Yeah. It's not that people can't schedule an hour long meeting. They still can, but they have to actively work against the tool and which forces a conversation and an agreement, like a social compact, like, okay, this time it's important. Like we, we spend the extra 10 minutes. Um, but that was, it was, I thought, just one of those silver linings coming out of COVID. It was we, we continue to find ways to make the tools that we have available, the processes, the software, the, the you know, kind of the, the internal workings work for us rather than against us. And if we can stay aware, I truly believe this, if we can stay aware when you tip over that edge, because often it happens without you realizing it, we're going to create a template for this. Did you use the template? Did you use the form for whatever the one oh, office so space? And it becomes like organizational norm. And like people will have left that created it. And you don't realize that now you're in service to the process rather than the other way around. Right. Email being a perfect example. Email's a that, great example. Right? Like <laughs> it's just a thing that came from this memo stuff that we like used to use when we had paper and put in people's mailboxes. And now we get like hundreds and hundreds of emails a day. Like expected to sift through subject and all that it's and it and it it fine it works 
sometimes, right? And sometimes it doesn't work. And how, how do we raise the awareness to actually be more conscious, more intentional? We, we, when I was a, when I was a teacher, email was, when email was, um, sort of new. You're, we you're dating yourself. Here. I was Go ahead. totally <laughs> dating myself here. Like I, I was, uh, email was pretty new and we had to figure out, uh, like we'd been using it for like a year or two and it was getting out of hand and we had to come up with like a system for it. And I we in a subcommittee, like trying to come up with a policy around email. And I was like, policy around email? Like, what is that going to look like? And I just basically came up with this list of questions that we could all ask ourselves. You know, is could this be a phone call? Yeah. Right? Is is this something is this something that needs to be documented? Memorialized. Memorialized yeah. in some way. Or is this something that I could just ask next time I see this person? I, am I writing this email because I'm upset? Uh, right? Yeah. Or am I writing this email because I actually have an action? That yeah. I want to ask for. I, I think it's, uh, I mean, if you think back to kind of the numbers of emails you were seeing back then, it's probably adorable to think that they were getting out of hands at that yeah, point versus right. today. Um, but I think those are, these are great examples of, you know, and again, I think if you just, you did what we just described. You did, which is a great way to, to kind of summarize this. You did in that conversation or in that set of questions, you asked yourself, is the tool serving the purpose or is the tool right. now the purpose? Right. And I think that that's just the the essential to this is we just always have to challenge ourselves with that. Is oh. is the tool serving the purpose, whether that's the employee, the culture, the customer, the product, that's the purpose that we have to keep squarely in mind. And we have to ask ourselves, like, how do we not let it overwhelm the purpose and suddenly become the purpose? That's 100%, right? Like the tool, like we were saying with meetings, right? The, the purpose of the meeting is the meeting purpose of the tool is to use the tool, uh, it gets really confusing when it's no longer connected to the bigger picture. So just like, again, going back through and sort of identifying some things. One is a lot of times these tools are presented to us as a way of sort of removing the messiness from our lives to try to make things more orderly, more efficient, more productive. And by doing that, sometimes it wipes away the humanity, mm. right? And it, and it wipes away our our, our uh, accountability in a way for like, how is this actually happening? You know, how do we get here? I don't know. Waze just told me to get here. Yeah. Right? Like the, the that's one piece. The other piece is that it can, um, it can also crush the ability to actually help people. Yeah. Right? Because you... You, you get so rigid in a space that you don't know how to actually, how yeah. do I end this meeting early? How do I do this? Yeah. Right? And then the third thing is like you can get – the tool can become the purpose and like you forget that why am I sending this email? Why am I using this tool? What is this about? You know, what is the bigger picture here? And that's really the, the thing that's going to help. Am right. I saying all that right? Absolutely. And just like that, that small example of using, you know, the email settings – the calendar settings to change the way that we treat people, to change the way that we, you know, that we help people. You can always turn that tool around into something that serves the purpose again. If you challenge yourself, just like you you talked about when you you know that email uh, uh, set of questions, and that's that's I think if we keep that squarely in mind, then we're 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 on the right path. We've got the right uh, right intent. 
Yeah, no, I think that's right. I was, I'm just reminded, I mean, you're, you're a little bit younger than me, but I think when we were kids, every school, every high school had a television set in their classroom. Yeah, I remember. I had those. We had TVs in our classrooms too. TVs in the classrooms, right? <laughs> With VCRs. And why were there TVs in the classrooms? Do you remember? Well, I, you know, we had the substitutes come in and they put the VCR. Yeah, 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 no, that's what they ended up being used for. But they were, they were in the when TVs became cheaper and they became something you could put in every classroom. The big idea was we'll put it in every every classroom and this will be a huge education tool. A huge education tool. And I'm sure some teachers used it for education. I mean, most of the classes, whenever the TV got pulled out, you knew this mm. was this was a day you didn't have to pay attention. Mm. Right? But like it was a tool without any real clear mission. It's <laughs> right? a great example. Right? And so uh, this question of what is it that I'm trying to do here? Agile and PMOs, you know, waterfalls and da da da, like all that, all these different terms for how to get a project finished and finished right. right? Well, let me take let me take that forward. I know we could talk about this for a long time, but I actually think that's a really great way to summarize this because back in the day, back in that time, you you would have measured how many classrooms have TVs. Totally. Right. How many classrooms have TVs? No, 100% of our classrooms have TVs. These days, I hear people talking about how many users does that system have? Yes. I don't care. What outcome are we trying to create? Right. What's That is not needle moving. That is a, that's an absolutely essential metric to understand how much money are you spending on TVs? How many licenses do you need to buy for software? You've got to manage that. No question. But is it actually creating the outcome? that you're looking for, either in employee efficiency, engagement, customer retention, you know, any of those things. That's where every conversation has to stay grounded as we think about how we deploy these these tools into the classroom, the business place, you know, the employee experience. That's right. That's right. I love this. So thank you again, Ken. This is like um, just such a joy to be able to have this conversation with you. It is weird to think about these things and the more you talk about them the more you realize like i don't know if we really in business if we really take the time to think about these things Uh, you know i I agree and i think this is why i've enjoyed and continue to enjoy carving out time to have these conversations because these are the conversations we should be having in business you know as we advance our teams and we think about what work will look like tomorrow and how do we create that space um, that we want. And I know next time, I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about. This is one of the, this is maybe the episode I'm looking forward to out of all the episodes uh, that I'm looking for that, that I've been anticipating. And we'll get into this next time, but it was really kind of these, these moments, just what we said, which is when you step back and you think about something and suddenly you shift your thinking because you've had space. Yeah. And I know I called it the red pill, blue pill moment, you know, from the matrix. And yeah, which, is a, which is a real, that's a real like concept, right? The idea yeah. that like, I, I, I take a, I, something happens and my entire perspective shifts. Suddenly I rethink. And so I know I have my example. I can't wait to hear your example uh, in this, in, the, in our next conversation. We're going to do our personal examples. We're going to do our personal. I'm going to bring my personal example. Yeah, I challenge you to bring right. yours. All right. Good. Good to know. Um, Ken, it's been so great getting to know you even more in this and we appreciate the audience for listening and uh, thanks again tune in 
um, for next week's show. Uh, and it's, it's not personal. I'm Seth Rigoletti, a leadership coach. And Ken Grady, CIO. And thanks for being here. <laughs>